It's great to be together this morning. Um, we're continuing uh, today, the next in our series, God-Centered Community. And uh, we're unpacking uh, over these next months the story uh, from ex- Exodus. And uh, we're in chapter 2 today. And as we go through, I'm going to read the passage to us at various points. Um, but as Exodus opens, uh, as the book opens, it's immediately clear that the godly influence of an earlier generation has gone. A new king's in power. He has no respect for all that God has done in the past through Joseph. Attitudes towards God's people have changed. Fear and suspicion are now rife. And Pharaoh's way of establishing control uh, is to quickly quickly oppress and intimidate those who uh, uh, unsettle him. It's probably the earliest form of cancel culture. And we're living in days a little like that at the moment. We live in a post-Christian society. The Christian heritage, which Tim talked about last week, that has brought about so many good things in our society, like our health service and social services, prison reforms, uh, the abolition of slavery, all came through a Christian influence, which was a result of uh, God moving in this nation and stirring the hearts of men and women, and it resulted in a nation being shaped unchanged. But that's increasingly disappearing. We now live in a society that's uh, becoming more and more antagonistic to Christianity. There's a deep flaw running through our society. We want authentic community, probably more than ever over these last 22 months. And yet, We want it on our own terms. It's all about what we want. We want things and and when we want them, we need them then. That isn't how things should work. That isn't how God will build his community. Exodus chapter 2 points us towards the answer. The answer, as we've heard this morning in our worship, is the gospel. Jesus Christ is the answer for this world today. And Exodus 2 points us to a child being born. And a child being born changes everything. And we're reading here about a child coming. The hope of God-centered community is a baby born in the darkest of days in the midst of oppression. Moses' birth is actually just a foreshadowing of the day when Jesus would come. As we've heard about, as Marion read that passage, Mary's prayer of thanks for God bringing a Savior into the world. Moses is just a great foreshadowing of Jesus' coming. Jesus would bring light in. To darkness. 
The archaeological images of Pharaoh who ruled in Moses' day shows him uh, always wearing a crown with a snake on it. And it reminds us that uh, the devil is behind lurking in the shadows of the Egyptian uh, empire. He's the one that the devil, uh, the Bible calls the ancient serpent. The one who uh, is out to destroy God's people and ruin what God wants to do. As God looks to build a community of people who love him and worship him. Pharaoh's decision to kill all the male children that we were uh, hearing about last week. All the male Hebrew babies, baby boys, they were to throw them uh, into the Nile. That was a demonically inspired decision. Herod takes the same action when Jesus, he hears about Jesus, the Messiah being born. He looks to kill all the baby boys. And yet, in both cases, God thwarts their plans because God is working out his purposes. God hasn't given up on this world. God hasn't given up on our society. However black things may look at the moment, God wants the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ to break into our world today. And that is the message of Exodus. The Exodus that Moses brings is just a foreshadowing of Jesus' greater Exodus. Jesus would deliver us from the power of darkness. God-centered community is made up of a people of faith who worship God with all their hearts. And Exodus 2 shows how God shaped Moses, shaped a man who went on to shape a nation. And the things that shaped God used to shape Moses are what he wants to use to shape us in our society today to see the gospel break out in a new way. And so the first thing we must be is shaped by faith. This is what it says in the first few verses of Exodus chapter 2. Now a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with asphalt and pitch. She placed the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Then his sister stood at a distance in order to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe at the Nile while her servant girls walked along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds, sent her slave girl, took it, opened it and saw him, the child. And there he was, a little boy crying. She felt sorry for him and said, this is one of the Hebrew boys. What we see here is that Moses' parents, they're not even named. We're not even told their names. They were ordinary people just like us. And yet they were remarkable people of faith. The writer of Exodus, who's probably Moses himself, tells 
of his parents' confidence in God. Pharaoh's issued this edict, throw all the male Hebrew baby boys, throw them into the Nile. It's the earliest sign, uh, the earliest we ever read, I think, of infanticide. Terrible, terrible thing. They would have seen, no doubt, many little babies thrown into the Nile. They would have watched it happen. They would have been anxious as their third child was born. They already had to, they had a boy and a girl. They lived close to the palace. It was, they just knew that they weren't going to be able to hide this baby boy for very long. And so when their child is born, and it is a boy, you can imagine their hearts sinking and they're thinking, what are we going to do? We're told that they saw that their child was beautiful. Now, every parent thinks their child is beautiful. There isn't a mother or father who don't hold their child and go, hey, look at, ah, isn't he beautiful? Isn't he gorgeous? Isn't she lovely? Every parent says that. So something is happening. They're saying more than that. That isn't what the scripture is telling us. We're told in Hebrews 11.23, By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. Faith was in their hearts. Something was happening in the realm of their faith. They were believing God. They believed what God said at the beginning. They knew that God created man in his image. We are created in the image of God. They knew that this child was created in the image of God. He was a gift from God to them. They believed God's promises for them. And so, in faith, they hid him. They believed in the sanctity of life. They were unafraid of the king's edict. They trusted him to God and they prayed. When they couldn't hide him any longer, instead of throwing him into the Nile, they put him in a basket and let it float off on the river. The word for basket is the word ark. The only other time that's used is in Noah's, the story of Noah, when there's a great flood. And God tells Noah to build an ark. And out of in the ark, he would save Noah and his family. We're being told that, Noah, that Moses' parents built an ark. They built an ark. It was Moses' own personal exodus. And we see the sovereignty and the power of God at work as Moses' parents trusted him to God. What about us? These are scary days in which to bring up children. It's especially difficult if you're a single parent. Listen, God didn't abandon Moses' parents and he won't abandon you. The best advice we were given when our daughter Meg was born 29 years ago, 
was this. Remember, she doesn't belong to you. You are looking after her for a short period. God has given you the responsibility to look after her. She doesn't belong to you. She belongs to him. It's a good thing to remember. By faith, before God, build an ark of the promises of God around your child by prayer. By faith, be those who pray over your child. Bring them to God. Give them to God. By faith, we do it, not fear. Faith does this. God, they are yours. Thank you for the privilege that I have, but they belong to you. Fear does this. Fear causes us to think that it's all down to us. No, it isn't. God is their protector. He belongs to them. And so we can bring our children to him and we can build an ark. We're doing that today, later this afternoon. We've got five families. We're having a baby Thanksgiving here. That is what is happening. These parents are building an ark. They're presenting their children to God and say, God, he belongs to you. We trust them to you. What about the other baby boys? I don't know about you, but you, when you read a passage like this, you think, oh, well, that's a great story but what about the other babies that died in the Nile? Didn't God care? There are lots of things that we don't have answers to. In a fallen world, there is a devil who is out there doing his utmost to kill and destroy men and women. What we do know, though, is this, is that God cared enough to stir the hearts of midwives, we heard last week, to save babies. He stirs the hearts of mothers, like Moses is mum. He stirs the heart of Pharaoh's daughter to save some. This year, statistically, more than 200,000 babies will be aborted. God wants to stir our hearts. He wants to stir our hearts to pray. He wants to stir our hearts to make a difference. That's why I'm a, a trustee of Winchester Pregnancy Crisis Center. Because I want to make a difference. You can practically help. You can give financially. As an organization, we, as a Christian organization, we provide help and to those who are facing unexpected or unwanted pregnancies. We want to show God's grace and God's mercy to those suffering turmoil from having had a termination. Maybe that's impacted you. I want you to know that God loves you. There are people in our world who are racked with guilt and fear and anxiety over things. God loves them and he wants them to be free. He wants them to come out of bondage. He wants them to have their own exodus, that they come out of darkness into his light and encounter him. 
If that's you, reach out. If you know you need help, reach out. There are people who can point you to one who can set you free and help you. The second thing we see is that Moses was shaped by values. This is what it says. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, should I go and call a Hebrew woman who is, nu- who is nursing to nurse the boy for you? Go, Pharaoh's daughter told her. So the girl went and called the boy's mother. Extraordinary. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child, nurse him for me, and I'll pay your wages. So the woman took the boy and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. God was doing something here in Moses that was shaping values. He does something That is extraordinary. He uses Pharaoh's own daughter to protect and shape Moses' life. We don't know if she had children of her own. But her heart, her heart is moved with compassion for this little baby. And after listening to Miriam, Moses' sister, she gives him back to Moses' mother and pays for her to bring him up. Wow. God is at work behind the scenes. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called by, according to his purpose. It's what Romans 8 tells us. And it was in this period, this little baby learned his identity. He learned about the promises of God over God's people. During those years God worked something into Moses' heart. Moses' parents taught him all about God, what it was to be unconditionally loved, taught him about the grace of God. They embedded those values in his heart. He had embedded within him a care for those who were in trouble. Listen, in today's society, there's a lot said about what our children are taught in school. But there's not enough said about what they're taught at home. God wants us all to instill godly values in our little ones. He wants us to teach them. He wants us to train them. It says in Proverbs 22 verse 6, train a child in the way he should go and when he's older he won't stray from it. The word is corral. It's like putting up fences to lead them. Boundaries. Children need boundaries. God wants us to train. He wants us to show our children things. He doesn't just want them to have head knowledge. He wants them to experience the grace and the love of God in the way that we act and the way we behave. Children need to encounter God. There's a, 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 if you have if you're a parent here with children, we're, we've got a commission, the family of churches we belong to are having a day here 
in the NBC, where there's going to be a, kid, a day focusing on kids, where they're just going to have fun and have great input. I want to encourage you, if you haven't thought about it, bring your kids to it. Bring your grandchildren to it. If money is an issue, come and talk to us about it. We're to be those who input into our kids. Listen, Jesus expects us to ensure that the little ones that are around us encounter the love of God. How do we do that? We encourage. We pray. We can be a Pharaoh's daughter. If you don't have children yourself, you can be a Pharaoh's daughter to someone, to some family. You can pray for them. You can babysit. You can encourage them. You can help them. We can all get involved. You can help on a Sunday getting involved with our children's work. We need people to get involved with our children's work at the moment after we, as we're coming out of COVID. I want to tell you, it is a great work. The smile of God is on it. There's an African saying that says this, it takes a community to raise a child. We are the people of God. And together, we want to be those who raise kids to love God with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind. Eventually, Moses is adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. And we're told in Acts chapter 7 that he's educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was powerful in speech and action. Moses gets immersed in Egyptian culture, in law, Egyptian law, Egyptian religion, military training. He gets the best worldly education that any young boy can get. Surely God took a risk. The leader, the person who was going to lead his people out of slavery, God took a risk, didn't he? For us, it feels like we're taking a risk in sending our kids to secondary school. In these days, our children are receiving such different values to what the Bible teaches. Universities are so are just full of humanistic thinking. How will our teenagers, how will our young 20s survive? Well, we pray. We trust them to God every day, just like Moses' parents would have done. We ask God to cause the, the godly values that are embedded in their lives from when they grew up to come to the fore. Sometimes it can feel a little like a lottery. I've watched over the years parents seeking to instill good godly values in their kids. And, and then I've seen their kids, some, sometimes their kids wander away from God. I've seen some of them follow God wholeheartedly. And it seems to me that both sets of parents did great jobs. I've seen others who don't seem to input much into their lives, just looking from a distance. And, and yet their kids seem to go on and walk with God. It seems to be a bit of a lottery. Listen, 
We're responsible for what we input. God is responsible for the rest. I don't, I'm not sure that Moses' parents ever saw the fruit of their prayer and their input into their boy's life. We don't know that they were alive when Moses turns and comes and leads the people of God out of Egypt. I don't think they did, if I'm honest. I don't think they saw it. They saw it by faith. My mum never saw me lead a church. She prayed for me for years and years and years and years. But she never saw the fruit of her prayers. But her prayers live on before a God who is outside space and time. Our prayers live on in God's presence. Maybe you feel here this morning you failed as a parent. Maybe you are racked with sadness because your kids are grown up now and they're not walking with God. That will impact many of us, I know. They're not following the script that we thought they'd, we'd set for their lives or we thought that they'd follow. Listen, we walk by faith, not by sight. We may never see how God answers our prayers, but he will. He is faithful and true. God rewards faith. And at just the right time, God works in Moses' heart. And Moses, as a young man, he sees the emptiness of the culture all around him. This culture that we live in, this world we live in, it is empty. It has nothing to offer. The answer is the gospel. And it's God who works in hearts. We're told in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. God works in hearts. God did that in my life, in my early 20s. I was going nowhere, fast. And my mum just kept praying for me and praying for me. And then one day, God got hold of me. And I gave, I willingly turned my back on pursuing everything that had been set out for me because I saw something better. That's what we pray for our, those in their 20s. That's what we pray for those of you students. We pray that you would catch a sight of a greater vision for your life. That God would do something with you that would change a generation. Shaped by values. We see Moses was also shaped by grace. This is what it says. Years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his people. Looking all around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hid him in the sand. 
The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you attacking your neighbor? Who made you a commander and judge over us? The man replied, are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses became afraid and thought, what I did is certainly known. When Pharaoh heard about this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then some shepherds arrived and drove them away. But Moses came to their rescue and watered their flock. When they returned, their father rule, to their father rule, he asked, Why have you come back so quickly today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water from us and watered the flock. So where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave this man behind? Invite him to eat dinner. Moses agreed to stay with the man and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. She gave birth to a son who she named Gershom, for he said, I have been a resident alien in a foreign land. Here we see the grace of God at work. Moses made mistake after mistake after mistake. He was not perfect. He senses the call of God on his life and yet he takes things into his own hands. And it's a disaster. One day, we're told, he went out. He decided. There's no mention of God in this. He watched. He saw what was happening to God's people. They saw they were being mistreated. He made sure, we're told, that no one was looking. And then he kills the Egyptian. He thought his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. He knew God had called him to lead his people and presumed it was now. The sin of presumption is a great thing. You see, all the people, all the Hebrews saw, all they saw was a Hebrew with an Egyptian heart. God needed to get Egypt out of him before he could get his people out of Egypt. God was more interested in his heart you see, faith involves leaving things in God's hands in his timing. What about you? Maybe you're experiencing disappointment, failure, things that you thought were going to work out for you. They're not. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you feel like things are just going wrong all around you. Here's the question to ask ourselves. What is God doing in my life at the moment? What is God doing in me? What does God need to do in me before he breaks through? You see, Moses needed to learn God's way of doing things. You see, God sovereignly leads Moses into a desert where Moses learns the importance of rescuing weak and defenseless people in the right way, protecting these girls who were being attacked and oppressed by shepherds. He learned to serve others after a lifetime of being served and spoiled. It was Jesus who said, I come to serve, not to be served. Jesus shows us as we read the gospel, what it means to serve others. The King of kings, the Lord of glory, came down and became a man like us and served us. He washed his disciples' feet. We read in John chapter 13. 
We read that Moses cared for sheep who were willful and disobedient and took him for granted. He experienced the hostility the hostility of strangers of these shepherds, but he also experienced the hospitality of others unexpectedly. He learned to appreciate what it was to be an outsider and to be welcomed. In a barren desert, Moses learned a grace-filled, about grace-filled leadership and what a God-shaped community looked like. In these days... God wants us to be people who are grace-filled. He wants to teach us the way of being grace-filled. He wants us to be those who welcome others, who are looking to serve and not to be served. We're living in a very spoiled society where everybody is so used to getting things their own way on their own, at their own time. Now, I want it now. God's way is a different way and he wants to teach us a grace-filled way of loving others, looking after others around us, shaped by grace. Lastly, and I'm going to finish with this, Moses was shaped over time. Just says this in verse 23, after a long time the king of Egypt died, the Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor. They cried out and their cry for, and their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God after a long time. This chapter covers a period of 80 years. 80 years? 80 years of oppression? Didn't God care? Of course he did. And yet we're told in Isaiah, God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. God does things in his own good time. God takes his time because he's thorough. He focuses on foundations before fruit. He could easily have built a community around people's shared experience of poverty and oppression. Yet God desires community built on faith, on trusting in him. It's why he's interested in each one of our hearts. It's through faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. We live in a world where we're brought up to expect everything to happen instantly. It pervades our lives. It pervades, sadly, our churches. We hate waiting. But God's in no hurry. Phil Moore says this. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you will have discovered God is not in a hurry. Like Gandalf in the film The Fellowship of the Ring, he is never late. Nor is he early he arrives precisely when he means to. But even so, the Christian life involves a lot of waiting. A marriage partner, a job search, the conception of a baby, the salvation of a friend. Whatever it is, he is invariably the God who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. If you know that you have been struggling with this whole thing of waiting and frustrated, I believe God wants to touch your hearts today. Maybe you're battling over anxiety and fear about your kids in school. 
if you know that God's been speaking to you right now, just like, just like right where you are, I just want you to maybe just stand and I just want to pray for you. Maybe you're anxious for your kids. You've got kids that you've been praying for for years and they're not walking with God. Just right where you are, just where you are, I just want you to stand and reach out your hands and I just want to pray for you. Just give you a moment because I think there's lots of people here who need to respond to God. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for each person who's responding to you right now. I want to thank you that you are their God and you're their Father and that you are in control working out your purposes. I pray for those who have been praying and they did, a, did their best before you bringing up their children and now they're watching children as they've grown up walk away from faith, seemingly. Father, hear their prayers. Hear their prayers. Work in their hearts. Bring them back. Change their hearts. For those who are Racked with anxiety, bringing up children today. Teenagers in school where they're being taught such values that counter, run counter to the gospel. Father, hear their prayers. Settle their hearts. For those who have been feeling they've been waiting and waiting and waiting for you and feel like giving up. God, hear their prayers. Break through for them. Come to them, comfort them, help them. Holy Spirit, come and minister to hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.